Welcome back to Big Feels at Work. Today's topic is how the work affects you differently because of your own big feelings. We heard a lot in our inbox about triggers and feeling more sensitive than your colleagues. Mm. Sometimes this was framed, or often this was framed as a kind of a, a real problem. <laughs> and so we're going to explore that today. Where we want to start is just sharing our own response to this particular topic. So Gareth, I'll start with you. What's one way working in mental health affects you differently because you've had your own experience of crisis and distress? I think one way, and, and it certainly used to feel like a problem, and can occasionally still now, but mostly it feels like an asset these days, is one way is you can see your own journey in the work that you're doing. So most simplistically, if you're doing one-to-one work, you can go, oh, yeah, I had a similar experience, I had a similar thing happen. And back in the day, perhaps when I was a little closer to those experiences being more overwhelming in my life, that would then bring up some of the emotions, the the memories, it'd stir the pot, mm. and I'd be back in that challenging place. Mm. So, yeah, that, that used to feel hard. And, yeah, I would have, at the time, I would have called it a problem. It was like, this actually affects me, and it, and it hurts. Mm. I think now I go, oh, this is, this is radical empathy. Mm. You know, I literally can relate to what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. I think for me... There's been different phases. I think when I when I first started working in a support role, I was kind of this raw nerve that because of my particular setting, so working in a, like a lived experience organization, so everyone around me has kind of had their own version of that experience. I think it opened me up in a way that didn't make it seem like a problem. Mm. But then over time that became overwhelming <laughs> so i would find that i could make these very quick deep connections with people people i was working with which was amazing but also that i would carry that in a very potentially overwhelming way it's like carry the concern for them in their particular pickle or i guess so yeah, yeah. what i found over time because i did i did two stints i did two stints of about a year each as a support worker and in between went on a tour around the world in a van so that was, that was pretty good de- de- sort of decompress <laughs> and what I found towards the end of each one is I, I went from being this kind of very open raw nerve to, to really flipping the other way and, and just not giving a shit yeah. and I found that a really fascinating process yeah. like a, this kind of internal defense mechanism it was a sweet spot I found in each each sort of year-long stint, the sweet spot was somewhere around the kind of nine-month mark where I wasn't wasn't too involved anymore, but I also hadn't checked out too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I inevitably would kind of close off, and that's when I realised I needed to do, go and do something else for a while. Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, both of us have took career paths that haven't stayed in individual support roles. Yeah. And I wonder if some of this is, um, it might be temperament, it might be aptitude, but it might also be that, you know, we've been fortunate enough to carve out career paths where there are none, Mm. you know, and and for others they get held in in support roles because unless you want to be a team leader of the same support roles, there's very little else 
places to formally go. That's right. And the support roles themselves are often really in this template and the structure where it does seem like the only two options are to care too much or to not care at all. Yeah. There's this kind of false dichotomy there. Yeah. What I have noticed more recently, because I, you know, whilst I don't work in support roles anymore, I certainly have people in my life who I've supported. So, you know, most strongly my partner was suicidal for multiple month-long periods. And what I found, perhaps it's just an age thing, or perhaps it's being able to support someone outside the templates of the system. What I found this time around was that I was able to deeply care, but not be too involved in her story, if that makes sense. By which I mean... I've sort of found more recently with, with friends and family who are going through stuff, I have a much, I have this deep-seated feeling that they've got it. Yeah. You know, it's ultimately it's their task. Yeah. It's not my task. Yeah. And that has just, that's, that's, I think there's two things that have driven that. One, just getting older and, and sort of seeing how we all deal with our shit and deal with it. But two, as I say, the fact that those are relationships I'm having outside of a system that expects you, the professional, to have the answer. Yeah. I think some of it might also be an element of mastery. Oh, yeah. You know, like, like if you do anything, you'll get reasonably good at it. Yeah. If you stick with it. Yeah. And I think some of it is learning. Because, because what we don't get taught in our roles, whether it's consumer, peer... In whatever way we're blending the, the personal with the professional is is we're not really shown how to do that. Yeah. So we might go on training courses that talk about it and, and it's a common experience. You know, we go off for conference or training and we're like, wow, this is it. This is the model. This is the framework. This is how we can do this work. Mm. But then when we bring it back into the context of doing it, the, the, the workplace culture isn't that. Yeah. You know, so like in other professions, you know, if I... I've done a fair bit in counselling, you know, you're taught how to build rapport, mm. but it's a technique mm. and it works. And lots mm. of people build rapport. You know, the guy, the, the, the guy selling you a car or whatever will build rapport. It's a set of, uh, you know, techniques that you can learn. But for us, we, we, we're trying to find a way to bring ourselves to the work that isn't really supported in the work. So I think, you know, we're kind of, we, I think that experience of being the raw nerve is really common because that's all we've got. We haven't really got away. And what, we, what you probably got to in your nine months was you probably stumbled across a bunch of things that worked for you mm. that meant it wasn't as raw. Yeah. And then very quickly those things took over and now you don't give a shit. Yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. I've got yeah. no nerve, let alone yeah. a raw nerve. Yeah. Yeah, so it's how do you hold that sweet spot? I guess the other thing that all makes me think of, because, you know, I've, I've done a fair bit of work with clinicians of various stripes and, you know, even those who don't have their own personal stuff going on or didn't mention it. This is an issue, right? This is a question. We talk a lot about vicarious trauma, mm. the idea that, you know, by working with others in, in really difficult spaces, you're going to take that on. Yeah. But what I notice about that is that that framing is still very us and them. Yeah. So it's this idea that, yes, there is pain you will encounter, but it is someone else's pain. Yeah. And if it touches you too deeply, there's some question marks there. Because, yeah. um, again, you're supposed to be the one who has it figured out. What I would would want to reorient that to is this kind of idea from Pima Chodron, who's a Buddhist nun. She talks about it's not your pain, it's the pain. Mm. So it's not theirs, it's not yours, it's, it's, it's the stuff we're swimming in, it's the human condition. 
And if you are someone who has, through your own big life experiences, been forced to reckon with the human condition a little more than your colleagues, you're going to experience it differently when you encounter it in others. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. But again, I go back to the context in which you're doing it. So like you're doing it with friends and you can go, hey, I really love that person. Mm. This is their task. This is this is their cross to bear. This is their, you know, working through it. And if anything, me getting in the way will actually disempower that person. Mm. You know, they, part of this is them, you know, sort of finding their own way. But you work in a system that, you know, if you go to the real extreme and, and, and you know, when you speak to people who work in like emergency departments, like, sure, you've got to find a way to not be going, oh my God, there's blood everywhere, that guy's bone sticking out, oh, you know, like, <laughs> to not panic. Yes. However, yeah. you're not doing that work going, oh, I remember what it was like when I had yeah. a bullet wound to the chest, or, you know, like, you're yeah. not bringing your personal experience to it. Yeah. You are following some really strict protocols. Mm. And that's the system in which we're trying to be, like you say, this sort of walking alongside yeah. rather than, I know best. I know the answer. So there's an inherent tension there. I think so. Yeah. And I, I wonder if, you know, thinking back to my experience of each time I'd, I'd work at the, at the support role level, I would have this kind of journey from caring too much, Goldilocks zone in the middle, and then not caring at all. Yeah. I wonder if even that journey is sort of part of the rhythm of it. So there will be times where it, it hits you and it overwhelms you and there will be times where you feel totally checked out. Yeah. And part of the trick of it is to, is to even simply notice that rhythm without yeah. judgment. and have comfort with it. Mm. It's like, oh, wow. Wow, look at, look at how much that touched me today. Yes. Or, oh, wow, look at how, you know, I really was not, you know, not jumping into all of that crisis and trauma. Yeah. Because some of this is so below the consciousness. Yeah. That you don't know why. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I've worked with people in support roles and I'm like, on the surface of it, this should be a really straightforward interaction. Mm. But for whatever reason, you know, we've, we've, you've got right under my skin and mm. you know, I'm now thinking about you lasting at night and yes. in the morning and yeah. many years later. And yeah. yeah, I think having some comfort with that all being fine mm. rather than, oh my God, I can't do this. I've got nothing to offer here. This is wrong. It's a problem. And I actually think that, ironically, for mental health professionals who you'd think we'd be versed in things like acceptance and commitment therapy or CBT or all the, all the various therapies that tell us when we're afraid of scary thoughts and feelings, those scary thoughts and feelings have more control over us. Yeah. And yet I think there is this fear of the pain of others there's this kind of the whole idea of debriefing um the whole, even the word triggers for me from a young age i felt that all of those things kind of set you up to see yourself as this ticking time bomb yeah. as this bomb waiting to be exploded yeah. by someone else's pain yeah. and i think that that is scary like i used to i used to really fear taking on board other people's shit yeah like it, it was a fear that i had I'm not saying it's not a founded fear because the stuff can be overwhelming, but I do think there's a subtle way in which we frame it all as harmful rather than just painful. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a really useful distinction, especially because you've got to remember, you know, we're having this conversation 
and you listening, we're all in this place of we have big feels. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the world might call us overly sensitive or thin-skinned or whatever. That's fine. <laughs> but we know that this stuff gets to us more. Yeah. And that's why it's... Um, it's important that we have the conversation from that perspective because otherwise it'd be really easy to see it as a problem, yeah. as something to be avoided. So I want to I want to go there. You said at the top that that you used to see it as a problem, and you now see it as an asset. So so can you speak a little to that? How is being more sensitive an asset in your work? It some of it is so simple. I think we walk past it every time. Yeah. So so when I started as a nurse aide very proceduralized role this was an alcohol detoxification service you had lots of medical things you had to do blood pressures and blood alcohol levels yada 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 so it's very process orientated and the people who were really good you know and, and and fortunately addictions have got huge numbers of people in the workforce out and proud or not who've had their own experience with substance misuse or addiction or whatever yeah the really good ones the people i learned from were the people who could listen mm. Like if you if you're in assessment mode, so we have this kind of little um, formulate treadmill in our sector where we go, ah, oh, assess, diagnose, treat, discharge, assess, diagnose, treat, discharge. Mm. If you don't get the assessment bit right, if you're not listening, yeah. you're gonna miss heaps. Mm. So now I know what it's like to not be heard. Yeah. I know how hard that was for me mm. and have to tell you the story a million times. When you're doing those sorts of roles, that that thing that feels strong is because you're listening, you're paying attention. Mm. So you might have a form in front of you that you have to fill out, but you're also attending to the person because you know what it's like to not be attended to. Oh yes. <laughs> so to, so like even just functionally, that is a huge asset. Yeah. You're going to hear things that other people won't hear. You're going to draw from them information that's really important. You know, like I see a lot these days. You know, in the, that classic peer support framework of, you know, the untold story, mm. you know, back in the day, you might spend 30 years before you tell someone your story. Mm. You get a good person now, you get a good peer worker or a good uh, consumer advocate, you get to the heart of the matter in 30 minutes. And that's just efficient. That's just really useful skills that when I started felt like a problem, felt like I was wrong, felt like I needed to develop techniques to stop that. Mm. Whereas now it's an asset. So that sensitivity yeah, lends you to, to listening and not only listening more actively, but also you, you will hear things that others won't hear. Literally. No matter what role you're in, you will hear things that others don't hear. Mm. I think for me, the way in which my sensitivity in this work has been an asset is a, is a less comfortable one that I think it'd be good to, to end on by talking about, which is anger. Working in mental health gives me the fucking shit. <laughs> Particularly in all the ways I've, I've worked, I've often been in roles where I'm explicitly trying to change things. Yeah. And any of you out there who have ever tried to change anything in this sector <laughs> will know that that is a often thankless task. And the level of anger that I experience with why it should be this way, why people who are struggling should have a system that often makes things so much harder. Yeah. That has driven my work to particular places and has given me the strength to challenge things and to speak truth to power in a way that I don't think I could have if I wasn't so pissed off by it all. Mm. But I will say 
it's bloody uncomfortable. <laughs> so there are times where the work just hurts mm. because things aren't how they should be. Yeah. And I simply want to honor that, that, that sometimes the very thing that makes you, I've said this to you before, Gareth, if you're not there in that room saying it, who will? Yeah. It's that thing. Yeah. So that very question of that thing that makes you more sensitive is the thing that makes you good at it. And that's fucking hard sometimes. Yeah. It's all of those at once. Yeah, definitely. To the point that driven largely by that anger, I quit the mental health sector at least once a year. <laughs> once a year I say that's it, I'm done. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of, of how I do it is to know that I can... At least in theory, walk away. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's really common. I mean, you know, I I wrote my resignation letter last year and and, and made it a public letter (laughs) because I worked for myself, so I didn't have a boss, so I just thought I'd I'd quit to the universe. But I think it's a really important... You you talk about that cycle. I think it's really important that we honour that, that we get to those places nine months plus or whatever and we go, fuck this. Mm. I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. The system's shit. I don't feel like I'm making a difference really important to have those moments and by all means leave like if if you get a a better offer go Mm -hmm. but recognize that that's part of why we do it Mm. because you know we know the system needs to change people in the system know the system needs to change but we feel it so strongly that we're repelled by it Mm. and that is such a such a powerful energy yeah and at times, like you say, it hurts and it's overwhelming and, you know, we can, um, no doubt we'll talk about what you do when you, when you get to those places, but recognizing that that isn't the problem. Yep. That is the solution. So your sensitivity isn't the problem. No, it's the solution. Yeah. Being pissed off, being sensitive is what is making the difference. Mm. It is happening just incredibly slowly. <laughs> <laughs> and uncomfortably <laughs> at times. I want to finish with something that we can offer people to, to try, cool. having listened to this. And I wonder if it's as simple as reflecting on, for you listening, what is one thing that is harder about this work because of your own big feelings or sensitivities? And then if you can get a hold of that, a follow-up question, in your kinder, less self-judgy moments, in what ways do you see that as a potential strength? in the work you do. Yeah. Even if it's bloody uncomfortable sometimes. (laughs) I'll add an extra one. Go on. If you can find someone to do the exercise with, that might be, you know, really, really helpful. It doesn't have to be somebody in the work. Yeah. Often, you know, it's really good to get somebody from outside of our work. And if you can show them, you know, what's tough for you and then work through together why that is actually really valuable and important to what you do Mm. you know sometimes having somebody else's perspective can really help yeah yeah and certainly honoring that many of you out there from from our surveying many of you don't have someone at work who you'd had that conversation with and that yeah exactly as gareth says it might be someone else entirely yeah for me it might be my dog (laughs) he's a great listener (laughs) got a lot of big fields of his own yeah All right, we'll leave this one there and uh, hope you join us again.